Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin. And we are coming back at you this week with episode 39, Till Death Do Us Part, The Murders of Renata Quelo and Cody Johnson. Cody Lee Johnson. Correct. So both of these cases have a theme going on, right? What would that be? Well, you tell me, Kevin. <laughs> Marriage. That's right. Marriage gone awry, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's just not marriage in general, yeah. <laughs> Each of these unholy matrimonies, unholy unions, ho- maybe holy, I don't know. <laughs> um, they didn't end well. You know, that's one way of looking at it. I mean, I think the, uh, the yeah. I mean. Yes, you're they, correct. They kept their word. Yeah, they Till sure death. did. Yeah. They did. I don't know why I'm making this so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so is is does marriage make you want to kill your significant other? Sometimes. I think um who Not you though. Well I of course not me. <laughs> Thanks. You were like not hesitating with that. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But someone once said that you know, there's obviously a fine line between love and hate. Yeah. And there's also a fine line between murder and not murder. <laughs> I don't think that line's that fine. Yeah, I don't think so either. There's a whole line. lot of other things you can do before you cross into that boundary. Yeah. So Shades and not of gray. and luckily not many or not most at least do. Yeah. So there's the bright side of marriage. But times are turning. Oh. With the COVID thing, you know, everyone's been stuck together, so domestic abuse is way up. It's not funny, haha, but just funny, hmm. Um, I remember when, you know, the lockdown started and people were saying like, oh, you know, people are going to be knocking boots and all this stuff, you know, and it's all the true crime people, all the memes were like, knocking boots, like getting busy, like having babies, Uh uh-uh, more like where to hide the bodies. And Unfortunately, that's what we've seen. You know, we've seen a lot of domestic violence spikes and uh, murder and all kinds of stuff. Like it's fucking on, bedlam out there. I, I know it's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's getting there anyways. Luckily, where we live, we don't. It's not quite so obvious that there's shit going awry. But when it comes here, then you know it's really hit the fan. Yeah, because we're pretty. It's like a fucking surfer town. Everybody's chill. Fucking chill as hell. Or on meth. But There's a fine even- <laughs> line between chill and high <laughs> on meth. All right. Well, speaking of fine lines, we're going to talk about that line between um, I love you forever and I'm going to kill you now. And forever is <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Till death do us part now. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you the story of 29-year-old Rogerio Damasena, a salesman for a motorcycle manufacturing company. And his bride, a 25-year-old lawyer, Renata Coelho. This story that I'm going to be telling, I got primarily from, the research I got primarily from the Daily Beast, which is a pretty decent website. There were other news stories, and I will say some of the facts are a little all over the place. Part of it is because most of the stories are in Portuguese, 
And I also did listen to, or we both listened to a podcast from Minds of Madness because it actually is pretty hard to find research on this case, although it's it's a very interesting, weird case. And Minds of Madness also, he actually had a friend translate like news broadcasts in Portuguese. That's like, there's just not any like real videos on it. I listened to this one compilation video of like, you know, marriages gone awry and I don't, I'm not going to call out the person, but oh my God, he had the most monotone voice I've ever heard before in my life. I thought it was like almost a joke, um, <laughs> but he had some information as well. But anyways, it's like that Ben Stein guy, it was like worse. Deadpan. It was worse. I'll play it for you after. But anyways, um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about Rogerio Damasena and Renata Coelho. So this couple had been dating for three years uh, before he popped the question and since they both loved Christmas, I mean, who does? Well, actually, there's probably a lot of people who don't like Christmas, but... I know a few. A lot of people like Christmas. It's, you know, you're in the mood to celebrate, you know, Jesus. I'm and not a particular trees. fan. Yeah, I Being know. in retail, you know, s- selling meat You know, and that's stuff, a good point, yeah. It's a fucking pain in the ass. It's, it's tying a bunch of roasts. People are all stressed out and they're panic buying because it's like this big ritual. Yeah, it's so consumerism's much in the air. Right. Yeah, but nonetheless, they decided to tie the knot near Christmas so that they could spend their, that first Christmas together as a, as a married couple. So it was very intentional. So they had this holiday-themed wedding um, and they settled on the date of December 19th. December 19th? Yeah, it's pretty close to Christmas. So That's then. pretty close, but I mean, little baby Jesus wasn't even born yet, dude. So they settled on, like I said, December 19th, 2010. So this happened about 10 years ago. It was a Sunday, and they hosted their wedding at a luxury condominium. That sounds nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it is nice. It was very nice looking. There was at least one photo of it on the news story. I was, <laughs> but it was kind of weird, you know, at a condominium. It must have been like in their commons area or something. Yeah. Because uh, 200 people probably couldn't fit in one condo. It was in the carport. <laughs> and the name of the luxury condominium was called Casa Grande. Oh, yeah, my pronunciation is going to be horrendous, but we did use some pronunciation guides on YouTube. So I'm going to try my best. It was called Casa Grande de Aldea in Camaraguibe, Kama, Kama, which is located near Recife in Pernambuco State in Northeast Brazil. I mean, I could just say Northeast I'm Brazil. I'm pretty sure that was some Necronomicon <laughs> incantation you just said. I'm yeah. pretty sure. So they had over 200 guests at their wedding, and the wedding went well into the morning until like 2.30 and at that point, the groom, Rogerio, walked, I'm saying that very whitely, <laughs> Rogerio. You're nailing it, dude. Um, Rogerio. <laughs> he walked up to his father and said, Dad, I love you. I'm so happy and hugged him. And red then flag. I, I, well, no, it's not a red flag. <laughs> That's a white flag. <laughs> <laughs> and he embraced him, like I said. At this point, the party was winding down because it was really early in the morning. They had partied. They had, in the Minds of Madness podcast, he said that he requested his favorite song. And it was very, like, the song was kind of significant because it was about, like, a jealous lover or something. I don't exactly know. the Like, again, Let the really, bodies hit the flow. No. Let the bodies hit but the he flow. requested the song to be played four times in a row. That's how much he liked the song. I mean, it's a love song, but it's kind of like one of those sad. It's almost like one of those like sad like Dawkins songs, like Alone I'm, Again. Or I'm something. glad they didn't do that with uh, me and my mom's dance at our wedding. Oh my god! Yeah, they slipped that one in there. Yeah, that but was. Can not you imagine fun. if that was four times in a row? No, I would have left. I would have asked for a divorce. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a Garth Brooks song, right? Maybe it would have ended the same way this wedding ended. <laughs> so. Many of the guests were co-workers at the motorbike importation company that Rogerio worked at, and they were getting ready to head home And because the next day was Monday, so a lot of them probably had to work. Um, Rogerio asked everyone to wait, though, because he had a surprise. So there were people starting to leave, and he was like, no, 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 wait, hold on. I got something. One more thing. Okay. that Now, that's a red flag. If at 2.30 you have a surprise... 
No one wants to know that surprise. The best man. So I'm assuming the best man is probably his best friend. I believe he worked with him as well. Um, his name is 40-year-old Marcelo Guimara. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to play Guimarães. So this is how you say this guy's last name. And this is why it's not easy. Guimarães. Okay, so that's his last name, so that's why it's a little bit harder for me. Guimarães. So his name is Marcelo Gumarais. Oh, that wasn't so bad, yeah, right? that was pretty good. Yeah, all right. And he was not in on the surprise, so he was kind of like, huh, a surprise. I feel like I should know about this, right? And so he followed along with their boss and many of the other curious guests and his bride out to his pickup truck. Some people say it was da- his dad's pickup truck. Other articles say it was his pickup truck. Nonetheless, he went out to a truck and he retrieved a thirty-eight revolver he fetched his 38 revolver from the glove compartment and returned back to the party he had it hidden in his pocket he went up to his wife he kissed her on the neck and then he held the gun right up to her ear and shot her point blank no fucking indication that is this is after partying for hours and being so happy i mean there's several pictures of them together they look well he looks a little crazed but she looks very happy like he looks dead actually he looks like he has dead eyes i'll post pictures on our. that's a red flag yeah that is but also like he just kind of seems like he has a flat affect in general like it's not it's not like he's like a psycho like or any well he probably is but um there's not necessarily an indication that he's gonna kill everybody you know Yeah, that is fucking some left field shit right there. Yeah. And then before her body even hit the floor, he shot her more. It's like I can't even like comprehend how fucked up that is. Yeah. And then and then he opened fire on the crowd and he graced the cheek of, I believe, the bride's cousin. And then he basically started to go after his best man specifically and then the whose name is Marcelo and Marcelo's wife, Pollyanna, she was at the front with her husband and she said that she felt a bullet pass by her face. Um, and when she looked to see her husband had been hit in the forearm because he raised it to shield himself. And then basically um, Rogerio was just like unloading on him, like in his face and everything. OK, so so that's so that happened. Like, he literally, so he starts, he shoots his wife, he shoots his best man, and before, like, there's just about a clamor, like, one person gets graced in the cheek, other people can feel bullets, like, flying through the air, but not hitting them necessarily. No one knows, like, what's happening and why. And especially before, like, the Christmas holidays, everybody was really shocked by this wedding killing spree. Not only is it, like, a celebration of love, but it's also, like, you know, a time of giving. Yeah, exactly. And then before they could even register what had happened, basically Rogerio then turns the gun on himself and he shoots himself in the head and he dies as well. So we're never going to get an explanation from him, you know. So Joselito Amaral, the lead investigator, he said, we have never registered a case like this. Someone celebrating a wedding and then committing this sort of crime, like especially on the same day. It was also unique because these types of violent crimes usually happen in the poorer classes. His words, not mine. And not in big cities and not with like well-to-do people like Rogerio and Renata in Rio de Janeiro. So at the time, Rogerio Damasena's work colleagues had described him as a model employee. He was happy, attentive, a worker. He had a bright future. He talked about his future. He was happy about getting married. So... That, along with no history of mental illness, no one could understand why he would do such a thing. So within a few days of the crime, Renata and Rogerio's friends and relatives began to form their own theories about what had maybe happened in such a brutal and public way. One of his, um, his 44-year-old brother, Roberto Guerra, Guerra? Guerra, probably, told the Brazilian press that his part-time brother-in-law, Oh, 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 I see. It's Renata's 44-year-old brother, so technically it's his his brother-in-law. 
he told the press that his very long, not long-lived brother-in-law was prone to attacks of jealousy and had shown that jealousy on more than one occasion. He said that at a social event a few months prior to the wedding, he um, Rogerio had become convinced that Renata's niece, that her fiancé, was flirting with Renata. And he kind of like lashed out at him and had a heated debate. And he ended up shoving the guy. And I don't think it amounted to much of anything. And the same thing apparently happened a few weeks later. And Rogerio was asked to leave. And he did. Sounds like a pattern. Yeah. So also, one of Renata's college friends, who the couple had known for two years, reported Rogerio as having a pretty bad temper as well. And that they actually, it, during their three-year relationship for like two months of it, they had actually broken, not broken up necessarily, but they had separated. And he thought that jealousy was the motive, but no, didn't actually know what had happened. So, of course, speculation is going to grow and grow in a case like this. But Rogerio, most people believe that Rogerio, that his wife Renata, must have been having an affair with the best man. And then in this Daily Beast article, it said, according to a 2008 survey by the University of Sao Paulo, 50% of wives between the ages of 18 and 25 said that they had been unfaithful. 50%. Damn. And I mean, that's among, I guess, like very young brides. Obviously, 18 to 25 is really young. Um, And if that wasn't bad enough... It's closer to 66% for husbands that said that they had been unfaithful in that same age range. What a bunch of wild hoes. I know. (laughs) Anyways. (sighs) So the widow of Marcelo, Pollyanna, she came forward saying that there was absolutely no way that there was uh, an affair going on. And there there was no evidence to support that whatsoever. No one has ever said that it happened and she said that he is not that kind of person that people are thinking, that he was a family guy, a loving husband. And they had two children, um, a boy of eight years old and a girl of four years old. So now, unfortunately, they're going to be growing up fatherless because nobody can understand why Rogerio well, did that. And motherless. No, th- no, this, so th- this is the best man. Oh, gotcha. So, yeah, so his widow is still alive and his right. kids are still alive. But, yep, Renata passed away. Rogerio killed himself. And he also killed his best man, Marcelo, who had two young kids. Gotcha. So it was just like this senseless triple. I mean, it was, I guess it was a, it was a double <laughs> homicide and a suicide. Yeah. And, and there were, there was no note. And no explanation, no evidence to support like any kind of fair or anything like that. And no indication that night through photos and videos and stuff like that, that he was like unhappy or like having second thoughts. He didn't tell anyone anything at all. If anything, he led his family to believe that he was super happy and that nothing could be better. You know, I have a theory. Okay. Demonic possession. You know, it seems more likely than a lot of other things. So I imagine that they were drinking a bunch. Yeah, they said jealousy plus alcohol. And so there, it goes back a long time, but alcohol is called spirits for a reason. It like lowers your vibration and lets lower, vi- lower vibrational entities into you. Yeah. That's, that's what some people think like blacking out is because mm-hmm. like you, you do things you would never do normally. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I never drink. I know, you're boring. I don't want to accidentally kill someone. Well, yeah. I've, I mean, I haven't killed anyone that I know of. <laughs> Yet. Correct. So. Yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like it has to be something more than just like he was wasted. Because he was happy wasted, too. There's a difference, right? Yeah, totally. But some people, like, Just can't handle it. Affects people differently. And, it, you know, I didn't see in any like newspapers or anything like that that mentioned like a history of substance abuse or anything like that. So it it seems like on the surface of it, I don't even think he had like a, you know, a substance abuse problem or anything like that. It's just like, I don't know, man. Something took over him. It yeah. might, you know. They're hot-blooded people too. Yeah. Uh, They're hot. Reptilian brain takes over. Watch out. 
So, yeah, that's one story of a marriage not gone too great. And Kevin's got one more for us today. You want to tell us about it, Kevin? Well, that's what I'm here to do. So here we go. This was heavily borrowed from Snapped, season 25, episode 15. That's so cr- There's like 32 seasons of Snapped. Yeah, it's crazy. I did not know that. I've only watched like a couple. And there is a podcast I really like called Killer Queens. And I think they're really cute and funny. Like I kind of listen to them when I'm feeling kind of like silly, not when I'm feeling real serious. They They make stuff a lot funner and lighter. But they have a podcast called Oh Snapped, and it's just them. (laughs) (laughs) It's just them retelling stories of Snapped. I have not listened to it because that does not sound like something I would like. But I I bet that yeah, it's pretty. It's a funny title. Um, But they rely very heavily on you know support for on like Patreon and stuff like that. I'm probably gonna join their Patreon, but I don't. I don't think I'm gonna listen to Snapped. And if you join their Patreon, they actually have like two extra episodes a week. They have something called a murder mixtape. And then they also recount story. Um, they also do like reviews and retellings of docuseries as well. So they like retelling stuff. I don't think that. And also they have they they are able to pay people to research for them. I don't think researching is their favorite thing to do. Researching snapped episodes. <laughs> no, I think snapped. I was the docu- gonna say that. I think snapped in the docu- lazy. <laughs> the snapped and docu series things they don't have to research. I think that's why they like doing them. But the um, their regular show, Killer Queens, and their murder mixtape extra on Patreon. Those are researched by a couple of women that are their friends that they pay to do that. So they're they're up there. They that's I believe it's at least one of them. It's their full time job, and then the other one is half employed by the podcast, and then they employ at least two other um, people to help them write. So, what are we doing? I know we're trying to get there, Boo. So when I say heavy heavily borrowed. We're just retelling the episode. <laughs> we're, we're pulling a killer queens today. Yeah. No, I did a little more research. <laughs> I know. I'm I, jesting. I, I felt like the best compendium to the snapped episode was a true crime daily article. Um, there wasn't uh, an attributed writer to it, but we'll be sure to link it in the episode notes. This takes place in Kalispell, Montana in 2013. In... 2002, so the dude, his name is Cody Lee Johnson. And in 2002, he and his mother, Sherry, moved from California. Uh, some I can't remember what town it was. Yeah, I don't think it was a great town. I think it may have been like something like Bakersfield or something. I think it was Bakersfield. Yeah, it was which... like she just thought that the crime was too high and she wanted to move somewhere safer, right? Yeah, and good move there because we were just driving through Bakersfield and it's not a nice place. What a dump. Sorry if you live there. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, she wanted to move somewhere that was quieter and safer and smaller. And so what did she choose? So they ended up in Kalispell, Montana. That's right. Yeah. Beautiful place right by Glacier National Monument. Is that what it's called? That's what it's called. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Montana is awesome, and yeah. I would love to have property there. Yeah. Because it is really pretty. Big sky country. Yeah. Yellowstone, Rockies, all that shit. They move there, you know, because shit in Bakersfield fucking sucks. We don't know if it's Bakersfield for sure, but it's something I like think it Bakersfield. Was. Yeah, and he, like, he fit in really well into the high school there and, like, made a lot of friends and was like really sociable and he was like living the life, right? Yeah, he was really funny. Uh people liked him a lot. He was a car enthusiast. Yeah. He was part of like a car club. Yeah, he would like soup up his like He had an Audi. He did? Mhm. In the episode they're showing like these regular cars that he was like souping up, putting Hemi's in or whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hemi is a Dodge engine. Oh, I thought it was like a hemorrhoid. Um, that's because you're a chick. Okay. Um, You you don't. (laughs) I'm joking. Okay. Uh, Yeah, he would soup up these cars, make them go faster, and probably put those dumb 
mufflers on them that make them sound like tin cans. Yeah. That shit's stupid. And, well, we don't know that for sure. Let's not judge him. He's I'm the, just saying. He's the victim he may, I hope he's not that guy responsible for those activities. Okay, okay. They're You're getting weirdly specific. Annoying. <laughs> <laughs> he, yeah, he's making a lot of friends at school and stuff. And he meets Jordan Lynn Graham eventually. She was an active outdoor person. Yeah. She was like into hiking. Quintessential uh, Montana girl. Mm -hmm. Super into outdoor stuff. Uh, She was also really into the church. Raised in a strict Christian household. Sounds fun. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) Did daycare and Sunday school. Yeah, she volunteered a lot. Yeah, became her job. So, I mean... It does give a lot of people purpose. Yeah, especially in a small town when there's not too, too much to do, you know, not much of a nightlife. It it becomes your social activity. Yeah. And 2013 Christianity is not very harmful, I don't think, to anybody. <laughs> like <laughs> the Crusades and stuff, you know, that was pretty brutal. But uh, pretty harmless at this point, minus the kids stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, I mean, she was super into it. She also got Cody into the church, obviously. And it was after that. Because how else are you going to score with Jordan? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, come on. she was saving herself for marriage, right? Yeah, that's what this is all about, really. Also, what happens when you're in, you know, when you're kind of a devout Christian and all this stuff and you don't believe in sex before marriage, you know what ends up happening? You end up marrying really young. So that yeah, you can have sex. Exactly. And it's like a usually nine times out of ten, it seems like a mistake. Because like when they finally, when which you'll talk about, but when they get married, she's like 22 years old. Like yeah. she's like four years out of high school. What if he's got like a micro penis or something like that? Well, she probably peeked at it. I don't know. I think you're allowed to peek at it. Well, I think they do like a lot of sodomy and stuff. They just can't have the vaginal sex. So every other. I don't know. I'm pretty sure is... that sodomy. No, I think that's pr- that's pretty right on. I- I'll ask that. I'll ask Tim from Where Goat. Okay. Because he knows what's up with that kind of stuff. He's got his. He's also a former he's, Mormon. He's got his ear to the people on that shit. They're d- officially dating for a while now. Uh, going to church a lot. December 2012, Cody pops the question to Jordan. I think they go to the, the, the loop trail. Maybe. He was scared of heights, so I think they just went out hiking. I don't know if it was to the loop trail. I think there's only one trail to hike in Montana. Yeah, probably just one. Yeah. June 29th, 2013, they get married. It's an outdoor cemetery. Uh- <laughs> Oh, that's some dark <laughs> foreshadowing. Freudian slip. Uh, outdoor ceremony. <laughs> My bad. And the pictures are really pretty. Like, they both look happy. She's wearing, like, she looks really pretty. He's, like, beaming with happiness. He is fucking stoked. Yeah, his eyes are almost, like, invisible because he's smiling so huge. So a week after the wedding, Cameron Fredrickson, Cody's boss and friend, was concerned about Cody. So he went to the police. to, re- And it's because he hadn't heard from him. Right. He goes to the police to report him missing. There's the weird, creepy ice cream man. And this is a week after. Yeah, that song meow, is meow, meow. so meow, meow, creepy. Meow. Yeah. So this is a week after the wedding. And he even breaks into his house to see if he was, you know, like there. He finds his phone there, and Cody never goes anywhere without his phone. So that was kind of a red flag there. And that's when he decided to go to police, yeah. So on July 8th, 2013. Which is like, what, like nine days after the wedding? Uh, Yeah, something like that. Nine or ten days after the wedding. So really, really soon after. Yeah, so they begin searching for him. Investigators are wondering why, like, his friend is there looking for Cody or reporting Cody missing, but his wife is nowhere to be seen. Jordan is called in to recall July 7th, and she says that the day consisted of church, the river, back to church, and then dinner at Dairy Queen. And then on their way home. Yeah, on the way home, Cody gets a phone call, and he seems to be upset on, on, during this call. 
And uh, she says she realizes that her phone was dying and she took her phone charger to work and wants to go back and get it. So while she's at work, she gets a text from Cody saying that he's going to take a ride with friends. And by that point, it's like it's like 10 o'clock at yeah. night. So it's a little weird, but I guess he does this often. That's what she says, at least. Yeah. So she comes home just in time to see a dark sedan pulling away. Just in time. Yeah. Uh, to give a description. And she That's says, convenient. yeah, she says the license plate was a Washington plate, which makes the investigators think that some, it has something to do with drugs. Yeah, because the interstate or is that what it, interstate? Yeah, interstate. In, interstate. Or intrastate? I don't know. No, inter. Interstate, like, drug trafficking is pretty big in that community because it's a small town, basically. Yeah, the drugs that like show the up there fun. pretty much come from Washington, apparently. So investigators, you know, think that it has something to do with drugs, but Jordan says that he was in that car club and they often raced and did joyrides at night on these super curvy roads. And which, since that's sort of illegal and he, I guess, was no stranger to this, that's why she didn't report it is because when, if and when he came home, he might be upset with her for, like, her reporting him because he's, like, drag racing and doing stuff he shouldn't be doing so he could maybe get in trouble. So that was her, like, reasoning to the cops as to why she hadn't reported him at this point. Because at this point, it's, like, 36 hours that he, no one's seen him. So Sherry, his dad, or mom, Cody's mom, yeah, yeah uh, shows up at the station concerned about Cody, and she brought a printout of Cody's cell phone record. Wow. The Washington number that called around the time she claimed, so there's a Washington number that called around the same time that he claimed he got. Well, she claimed that he got yeah. the upsetting phone call. Thank you. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> So, and it was it belonged to a guy named Jose. Yeah. So they track they trace this call back to this dude Jose, and he Jose says the conversation was just about a torque wrench that belonged to him, and it wasn't anything else. Like it wasn't upsetting. It was like, oh hey dude, I found that torque wrench you were looking for. I'm gonna send it to you, or I'll bring it by. And he's like, okay. Yeah, which doesn't really match the upsetting portrayal of this. You know, yeah, yeah upsetting phone call. And, and Jose has, like, the best alibi ever. Yeah, his wife was, like, giving birth. <laughs> yeah, at a hospital that he, like, logged in as, like, a visitor at. So, in Washington, I believe. Wednesday, July 10th, Jordan comes in with her mother. <laughs> Jordan comes in with her mother and presents an email from, in quotes, Carman Tony. That tells her Cody accidentally fell off a cliff in Glacier National Park while hiking with his friends from out of state. Tony's email reads in part, quote, Hello, Jordan. My name is Tony. There is no bother looking for Cody anymore. He's gone. The end, right? Like, that'll get everyone to stop looking for him, right? Yeah, right. So before she goes to the cops, Jordan told Hannah, a friend of hers, about the email. Hannah said... I'm quote, I'm freaking out. What are you talking about? She wasn't crying. You know, she said she's uh, Jordan wasn't crying at all. Just showing me this email and I start shaking. Uh, I told her to go to the cops and she did go, but I was rushing it. Go move. What are you doing? Don't just stand here looking at me. Yeah, she, she was said. just like, what the hell? Why? Why is this your reaction? Yeah. The email only makes police even more suspicious of Jordan. So, quote, the email that she provided to us stated that these unknowns that he had taken off with, as well as this Tony person, had seen him fall from a cliff or at least disappear, and that she was given explicit instructions to tell the police to call off the search. There was no more need to search for him, and at that point, I think she just expected us to walk away from it, said Kalispell Police Detective Corey Clark. Yeah, and we'll be hearing a lot from Corey Clark because he was the lead he was the lead detective. Now, four days after Cody's disappearance, and and armed with the information in that email, Jordan decides to go to Glacier National Park to look for him with her own search party, which includes Hannah and other friends and family members. So at this point, we're gonna hear a lot from Hannah and we're gonna hear a lot from Clark. 
just so you know. So the drive up there, she was waving her hand out the window, wearing his sunglasses, said Hannah, driving his car, acting like nothing happened, dancing and laughing. When they get up there, Jordan's search party puts up missing posters and looks for possible places from which Cody might have fallen. I did most of the work, said Hannah. She did nothing. The next day, something like takes over Jordan, and she knows where to go all of a sudden, where to find him. And out of all these trails and roads that they could have gone, she goes to this one, a drive in the area known as the Loop, where there's a sheer 300-foot drop with a safety wall. So they're at the top of this trail for the loop. Jordan says, I think, she, I think he's down there. So she, like, just out of all the places they, gonna go, they could have gone, they she, stop like, comes here. comes this one sheer cliff. And says, yeah. I think he's down there. The, the, her friend that was with her was kind of like, huh? And so Jordan just jumps over this wall like she's done it a bunch of times before. And she makes her way to a rock landing where she could see the bottom of the ravine. She knew exactly how to get there. Like she, she did it like a pro, said Hannah. And Jordan quickly spots a body lying at the bottom of the ravine. So a search party alerts authorities. She said it was a place he wanted to see before he died, said Detective Clark. That and the Holy Spirit guided her there. Detectives and police officers make their way down the ravine, and they find Cody's body. In this pristine area at the bottom of a waterfall with a huge cliff hanging above him, and uh, there's just this body floating in the water in, in a place that was so remote that Humans probably haven't really even been there. It was like in the bottom of, yeah, 300-foot drop, obviously. So Cody's body is severely damaged from the fall. It appeared that he fell head first. Oof. Uh, he, had he had injuries to everywhere. Yeah, his head and his arms mainly. Oh, God. <clears throat> Friends and family are devastated when they get the tragic news about Cody. Cody's family is deeply saddened by the news, but weirdly, Jordan's only emotion seemed to be that of relief. Like it's finally over. Yeah. She mentioned now that we have the body, we can have the funeral, and the cops can be out of it, said Hannah. Because <laughs> that's how it works. At his funeral, only 16 days after the wedding, people Oof. were surprised at Jordan's lack of emotion. At the funeral, not only was Jordan's demeanor off, but she was on her cell phone almost all the time. And all of her friends started thinking that maybe she had something to do with his death. Yeah, like nobody was like on her side at this point because they're just like, I don't like the way you're acting at all. And they're just pretty done with her. So officers and detectives were starting to think that Jordan was a fake too. They had finally gotten word that the email was a fake through subpoenas we found that the email was generated at her stepfather's house. Yeah, they found it through the IP address, right? Right, yeah. And it was uh, created the day the email was supposedly sent. And eventually found they found out that Jordan wrote it herself, said Captain Warnell. They were surprised that she was dumb enough to concoct <laughs> a plan like this. It was really easy to figure out that she had written it. Police also uncovered evidence that Jordan was with Cody at Glacier National Park the night that he died. At first, Jordan tried to tell investigators she uh, wasn't with her husband, but one big problem with that was the surveillance camera at the entrance to the park. Uh, so they show her photo of a car matching the description of Cody's, and you can see two occupants inside, and they look like Jordan and Cody. Uh, so cell phone tower records also placed Jordan and Cody in the park that night. Yeah, that's both. Those are two pretty irrefutable. That's not even almost circumstantial evidence at that point. That's just evidence. Yeah, totally. And then on top of that, I know I didn't write it here, but in the episode and also in a couple other articles that I was kind of looking through, she had also kind of complained to friends at this point that she didn't want to have sex with Cody like she wasn't ready and that she had some trepidation before the wedding. And because, like, all of her friends were kind of mad at her, like, lack of emotion at, over Cody's death and just, like, how strange she was acting, a lot of her friends started talking to detectives and investigators and police, just being like, yeah, she didn't want to have sex with him. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if she had something to do with his death. Like, people were just talking straight up behind her back, you know? So the FBI takes Jordan into custody at her home soon after Cody's funeral. 
Finally, Jordan was brought into the station and charged with first-degree murder of her husband, Cody, and is confronted with the overwhelming evidence against her. Finally, this made her break down and cry when they showed her the photo of her and Cody in the car. At the time where she said that she wasn't with him. Yeah, that's when she knew she was caught. So she then opens up to the FBI, admitting in an audio-recorded confession that she hadn't been happy in her eight-day marriage to Cody. Mm. Eight days? I know. You could have just gotten annulled at that point. You can actually get annulled, like, up to six months. I know Brittany, her first husband, I think they got annulled after, like, two months or three months or something. You can do that? Yeah. Basically, I think annulments technically are like, oh, we haven't had sex yet or something. Like, there's some kind of, like, it means, like, we haven't, like, consummated the marriage yet. Like, so it shouldn't count. So it's just like a mulligan. It's a do-over. It's not a divorce. It's just like a undoing. Right. So Jordan said on this recording, I was kind of feeling we should have waited a little bit longer before we got married. And she wasn't feeling like she was on cloud nine. Ugh, whatever. Did you feel like you were on cloud nine? Yes, I was happy. There was not a doubt in my mind. I also waited until I was older. That's true. I was 28 when we got married, you know. I'm still on cloud nine. Aw, that's very sweet. I'm going to believe you. Okay, keep going. (laughs) Jordan also admits she and Cody had been arguing at home on the night of his death. And it was decided that they would go to Glacier oh, National God. Park, yeah. says Liz. 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 He's a different detective. Liz. They went to the park, walked up the loop, and once at the top, they looked... Okay, once at the top, they walked across the road, and then they walked down the loop trail. Jordan said, I didn't want to do that trail because I was afraid he could fall. Jordan says on the police recording, and he said he could do it with a blindfold on. I could take a step out, and I wouldn't even fall. I said, you're going to fall, and we started to get into an argument. And he grabbed my arm and my jacket, and I said, no, I want to defend myself. He then let go, and I pushed, and then he went over. So Cody plummeted 300 feet to his death. A black rag that could have been a blindfold was found near Cody's body at the bottom of the ravine. Lead detective Corey Clark had speculated that Jordan may have blindfolded Cody as part of a sex game to lure him to Glacier National Park. Because remember, at this point, they've been married for a week and she hasn't given it up yet. So she didn't want to, which, I mean, I totally get it. Like, for her, she's so young. She's not experienced in sex, obviously. And she doesn't want to have sex with him. And I'm sure she told him that and may, may have argued about it. But if she's using that drive to want to have sex with her as a lure to make him to, you know, seduce him to his death, that's fucked. That's when you just say, like, hey, listen, I think we made a mistake and I want to annul this wedding. Like, I want to annul this marriage, you know? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the whole way she goes about this is fucked. Yeah. So... They stated that Cody was in a euphoric mood and he was just beaming, super happy. And they said, you know, what's going on? And then he tells them that Jordan has a surprise for me. And uh, they kind of thought that that meant like some some. some sex related thing. And the reason that we're kind of saying this, talking about this part a lot is because This is the difference between first degree and second degree or even possibly third degree murder. Because if there's any premeditation, that very much changes the game, right? Right. So if if they can prove that she intentionally lured him out of the house and blindfolded him and then pushed him off the hill, that goes from murder to first degree murder. That shows premeditation, a lot of premeditation, actually. The theory that Cody was blindfolded could never be proven. Yeah, circumstantial. Yeah. Uh, Jordan denies in her confession that Cody's murder was premeditated, but but she says it also wasn't an accident. Yeah, she, like, admits to pushing him. Yeah. She said that he had turned his back to her and was facing the cliff, and that's when she went up to him with both hands, pushing him in the back off the cliff. So that sounds pretty intentional. Yeah. 
But again, if it just happened in that moment in the heat of passion, that's second degree. It's not first. Right. And that's the difference between life and out in 30 years. So, Which at age 22, she still has a significant life to leave after that, you know? Yeah. Uh, Jordan is charged with first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and making misleading statements. Shortly before all the evidence was in and shortly before the case was going to be argued for the jury, she decided to enter a uh, plea of guilty to second-degree murder, said U.S. Attorney Michael Cotter. So at the last minute, she plea deal and gets second-degree. Yeah, because they're like, dude, you're not going to win this. Like, there's no way. So you can at least maybe get 30 years. Yep. So she is sentenced to 30 years in federal prisons, uh, federal prison with no chance of parole. And a little update from June 13, 2016, Jordan Graham recently filed her last appeal to the Supreme Court, but it was denied. Because she wanted parole earlier. Because the murder was committed in a national park, it's a federal crime. And Graham will remain in federal prison until 2040 without the possibility of parole. So you can expect to see her in 20 years. And that also... And she should never get married again. <laughs> yeah, really. Brings us back to what we were... I think we were talking about in one of the last episodes was all the disappearances and murders that happen in national parks. I mean, honestly, she could have gotten away with it. If she just said, if she had gone straight to the police and, like, not done the blindfold or anything like that, just was walking up there with him and just pushed him and, like, immediately called 911 and be like, oh, my God, my husband just fell off of a cliff. Like, people have gotten away with that. There is one. That's way more believable. Yeah, there's the one more, in the gorge, right? There's a lot. There's a lot like that. There's yeah. a lot of people who have very mysterious deaths around them. There's been selfie deaths around people falling off. I mean, people fall off of cliffs literally every single day and die. Yeah. So, but because she, like, concocted that email and then there was a blindfold, because there was so much extra stuff and she was acting so weird and stuff, that's what made it, like, you have something to do with this. But if she had just pretended, I'm not like trying to, well, the thing is, I'm not, I don't want to give her any credit. She's a fucking moron first off. And then if you want to get away with murder, <laughs> you got to make it look like an accident. Like she made it seem, she like invented another person. Like the police weren't going to figure it out in like 10 minutes that the guy wasn't a real guy, you know? Yeah. That whole email thing. Uh, yeah. So, Carman Tony. Carman Tony. Like, Cody's just hiking with some out-of-state friends that you've never met and he's never mentioned to you. So just, and, and he's he dead. he fell off a cliff and stop he's dead. Stop looking for him. And, um, yeah, you could stop looking. Case closed. Yeah, I mean, that right there shows deceit. It's like when people say, like, oh, my wife accidentally died or my husband accidentally died, so I cut up her body and buried her because I didn't want to get in trouble, but I didn't kill her. It's like... It doesn't matter if it was an accident or not your fault. The fact that you cut up their body and showed, like, you know, deceit after the fact, you know, that makes you look more guilty than if you had just immediately called 911. There's so many cases out there where it's like, oh, and then I hid the body or then I cut her up or then I did this thing. It's like, well, why did you do that thing if it was an accident? Well, I didn't think the police would believe me or something like that. It's like, dude, if she had just immediately called... Like, we were on a night hike, we were making out, and he fell off of the cliff. I'm so fucking distraught. Like, please look for him, you know? I don't... Because, like, there's no way he would have survived that fall. And even still, like, even if he had survived the fall, let's say, there's no way, like, if she had done it, quote-unquote, correctly, he wouldn't have even known that, like, she pushed him, you know? If she, you know, I don't know. You know what I'm getting out of all of this? That I'm planning your murder? <laughs> yeah. Don't piss you off. Because <laughs> you might be smart enough to get away with it. Yeah, I would never, though. I don't have the stomach for murder. And I love you. <laughs> that, that, too. You wouldn't, like... No, I wouldn't. Spike my tequila? <laughs> no, because then they could find it. Yeah. Yeah, no poisons. It would have to look like an accident. There's a lot of cliffs where we live. So I think the question is, is marriage worth it then? 
if this if if tales like these exist, what's the point of getting married? Um, financial no babies. I, I mean, you can have babies. you can have babies without being married. I guess maybe a tax break. Tax break. It's a nice thing for your parents. That's why we got married. <laughs> Shut up. That's not why. <laughs> We wanted to, but actually, the wedding part, you know. Yeah, it's it's a celebration for other people of your love, you know. So, I don't know, people, but really think twice before you tie the knot. That's all I'm saying. And if, and if what? I don't know. Don't if, go hiking at if night. If the girl's got black shark eyes, don't go hiking with her, <laughs> especially at night. So, and if your dude's got black shark eyes, don't go hiking with him. Don't at night. get married. With him because he might shoot you. Yeah. So I know those were some pretty dark ones this week, but, you know, we're just kind of covering all the bases. We're just stuck here in quarantine. Just her and I. It's like the shiny. I know. <laughs> and it's it's also kind of like wedding season, like summer is wedding season. So, you know. And fire season. Yeah. Down here. <laughs> <laughs> so where can you find us on social media and stuff, Kevin? Um, you can send us a tweet at the TC dumpster on Twitter or, uh, we're on true crime dumpster.com on, uh, <laughs> on the Instagram true crime dumpster. Yep. True crime dumpster. Uh, we've got a Facebook group, true, true crime, crime dumpster, dumpster Facebook. Facebook. I think it's true crime dumpster. We have a new member from Nigeria. Is that right? Yeah, Dracula's got some competition. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry I didn't double check your name, but welcome to our little welcome family. Welcome to the dumpster. Yep. So you can rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on all platforms. Anytime you leave a five-star review or a view on iTunes, it helps us get up there in the charts. Um, we have like 23 reviews so far. We would like 1,000 by next listen. So <laughs> <laughs> Dream big. Yeah. That's what we say here at the dumpster. And, you know, be good to each other. If you're married, you know. Try Even to, if you're not. Try to, or if you're not. Just try, be good to each just, other. Just do something nice for someone you like. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody's going fucking crazy at each other's throats. And it's just going to get worse with this dumb election coming up. Oh, gosh. I didn't so, think about that. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. So what I can say from, from those of us in the dumpster, just... Uh, be cool with one another. There's going to be some fucked up shit coming, and don't let the brainwashing affect you. Turn your TV off. Go outside and uh, love thy neighbor, right? But wear your mask. No, don't fuck. When you're in closer quarters inside. Just, Come on. Just get the vitamin D. Don't worry about Kevin, the mask. Kevin, stop. I'm not even going to, like, we're I'm not start. a doctor. All right. Well. But I play one in the bedroom. <laughs> Ew, I'm... <laughs> All right, have, uh, make sure to tune in next time where we talk out the trash. And have a great weekend, week, day, day. month, <laughs> life, night, year. Bye. See ya. <laughs>